What is up, ambitious listeners? I am hyped up today. It is draft day, the day we have been waiting for for the entire NFL offseason. I am incredibly excited to see where 32 dreams come true tonight and more tomorrow and more on Saturday. It is my favorite time of the year. It's my Christmas. You'll see and hear the excitement in today's episode. I sat down with quarterback coach Sean McAvoy. He works with Justin Fields and Trey Lance, two of the top guys in this class, two guys I have going in my top um top 32 and I think that they are guys actually both of them go in the top 15 in my draft not to spoil a little here but I think that they are both guys who are going to excel at the next level and Sean McAvoy tells us why firsthand and he also talks to me about the nuances of being a quarterback his career everything he does all the great great stuff he does and it's just a phenomenal interview so enjoy that one and then also I just alluded to it I give my final mock draft of the 2021 draft season and it's a good one I'm excited to take a stab at some of my picks but more importantly give my thoughts on some of the top guys in this class so yeah it is a really really great episode here today a lot of fun um producing this and excited for tonight um it's gonna be a hell of a ride so all of this content after a quick word from our presenting sponsor you know him you love him anchor three years doing this podcast and now my third year of doing a mock draft um i thought about holding off on the mock draft and just doing this episode with the incredible quarterback guru sean mcavoy but i opted to just take my stab at guessing the picks because it gives me an opportunity to share a little bit of insight on uh, a lot of these guys and also i felt like it was a travesty not to do a mock draft after doing it the past few years but I'm going to take my stab at it. I got 32 picks here. Um, All guys I'm fairly high on. I mean, this draft is going to be a lot of fun tonight. I'm incredibly excited to see where people land. So without further ado, here is my mock draft. The Jacksonville Jaguars select Trevor Lawrence, quarterback, Clemson. Listen, if this doesn't happen, I will be absolutely shocked. Um, I'm pretty sure Trevor's already got his Jaguars playbook down. He's got his Jaguars jersey already branded. He's already probably had dinner with Urban Meyer about 25 times. Um, They probably know each other's families well at this point. The fact that Trevor Lawrence lands in Jacksonville scares me. Um, I think that Urban Meyer is a risky head coach hire still to this point. I've said that openly on this show, and I stand by that. But I do think that they're going to try their best to put him in the best position possible for success. They have another first rounder. They do still have a lot of draft capital. I like what they're doing on the defense there with CJ Henderson and Josh Allen. So a lot of potential moving forward, but they've got to surround him with an offensive line and pieces to be successful. If they do, Trevor Lawrence has the capability to be a Andrew Luck kind of talent. Number two, the Jets take. Zach Wilson, my New York Jets have another quarterback, Zach Wilson of Brigham Young University. Um, He's got that edge and that fire that reminds me of doing this a few years ago and evaluating Baker Mayfield, but he's also got that football knowledge that you really see with some of the greats. So there's a lot of potential with Zach Wilson to be a franchise quarterback and a superstar in this league. I think he has the capabilities. The Jets have to surround him with talent, similarly to the Jaguars. I do like the coaching um 
situation in New York better than I like Jacksonville's, but it's by no means a sure thing, just like a lot of these teams. So Zach Wilson's going to have a lot of work to do. He's going to have a big adjustment going from Provo to MetLife. Um, but I think he can do it. I think he's going to be successful and hoping for the best as a Jets fan internally. We go to number three, the 49ers select Mac Jones, quarterback, Alabama. Listen, I have Trey Lance number three on my quarterback rankings. I've stayed pretty firm in that to this point. Um, I think Mac Jones is the fifth best in this draft, and I don't think there's a massive gap between him and Kellen Mond. I personally do believe that Kellen Mond has almost even a higher ceiling than Jones. And that's not me sleeping on Jones. And it's not me sleeping on, I guess, the 49ers and what they can do with Jones. But it's more of just that I think if you're going to go from Jimmy G, who's not that awful of a quarterback as people have made him out to be, he's on that Kirk Cousins level tier where he's a good game manager and can do some good once in a while. If you're going to go from that, you expect an upgrade. I think Trey Lance and Justin Fields are upgrades. I would argue that Mac Jones might not be. But I think he has the mental processing to be successful. He's gone up against the best and done well. And I think that if he's put in this situation with Shanahan in San Francisco, he likely will have some semblance of success. Do I think it's the best choice? No. But do I think it is the choice? Yes. Number four, the Atlanta Falcons select Kyle Pitts, and they are ecstatic. Whatever happens with Julio, the idea of having Kyle Pitts in the fold for Matt Ryan next year is going to be fun. I don't know how you stop this guy. It's like he was crafted in a lab. He's a monster, and I have not evaluated a tight end prospect as exciting as Kyle Pitts in the entire four or five-year span I've been evaluating prospects to this point. So I'm excited to see how he fits in that offense. I think him and Calvin Ridley um, can be a dynamic duo for Matt Ryan for the future. Whether or not Julio Jones is in the fold could make them even scarier. Number five, the Cincinnati Bengals select Jamar Chase, wide receiver, LSU. Listen, I think Jamar Chase is the most talented wide receiver in this class. The display he put on in the Clemson National Championship two years ago, the display he put on the season with Joe Burrow was absolutely fantastic. Last season, they didn't have the best quarterback situation, didn't have the best situation overall, and you saw not as high... Not as high production from Jamar, but I do think that he has the capabilities at a very young age to come into this league and have success. And it doesn't help, or it doesn't hurt either, that uh, the quarterback who's going to be throwing to him is the guy he had record-breaking numbers with. So I think Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow are going to be an excellent connection for Cincinnati moving forward. The timing's going to be there, and with a potential abbreviated offseason again, I think that's going to be crucial for Joe Burrow, and having that weapon's going to be nice. Do I think I would go here? here if I were the Bengals it'd be a tough choice it depends how you value Chase over Suell or Slater on the offensive line I think coming off an ACL injury it would have been nice to not have Burrow running for his life but having that weapon like Jamar Chase is going to be very very nice for him number six I have the Miami Dolphins with a little bit of a surprise pick here taking the Heisman winner Devonta Smith Smith was with the team in the Senior Bowl. He had a chance to firsthand impress them and talk to them and get to know them. And I just can't see Brian Flores going to waddle over Smith when Smith has excelled at every point in his career. Yes, he is not as big as Waddle or Chase, but he's also got that capability 
to be an absolute burner on the outside. He's got great catching. He's dynamic out of the backfield if you need him. And he's got a great, great catch radius, great length. He truly is the... Um, Grim Reaper, as they call him, he's just a monster on the field. And I think you add him and reunite him with Tua Tagovailoa, and you genuinely have a number one target for Tua. <coughs> Sorry. Detroit Lions, number seven, they have to run this card to the podium. They get arguably the top offensive lineman in this class, Penny Suell. He opted out last year, but when he was with his guy, Justin Herbert, he was an absolute beast, um, just a absolute animal on the offensive line his stocks kind of fallen I guess a little bit over the past couple days and weeks here I don't know why but maybe it's just you know the lack of game tape I think you're gonna see a couple other guys go before him that are non-quarterbacks um as I've just said but I think Suell can be that anchor on the offensive line protecting Jared Goff or whoever the quarterback ends up being for the long-term future for the next decade so I think Suell adds a lot to that Detroit offensive line at eight, I only did one trade in this entire draft just because this trade made too much sense to me not to have. So I think there's going to be more trades than just this one, but this was one that made too much sense to me not to include. That's the Panthers trading out of the eighth slot. Uh, they move down a couple slots, but they also pick up um, a pick or two. I don't know the compensation projection there, but... I think the Eagles trade up to get J.C. Horn corner from South Carolina. Horn has the potential to be in that Jalen Ramsey tier where he's just so dedicated to the game of football. He's got that little bit of swagger. He's got a great, great um, press corner style that I think is going to do very well in the next level. And I think the Eagles get him here and make him their um, corner, cornerback one for the next um, 10 years even. Number nine, the Broncos, maybe a surprise here to some, not to me. They go Trey Lance, North Dakota State. Yes, they still go quarterback, and that quarterback room just got messy with Trey Lance, Teddy Bridgewater, and Drew Locke. I think you fight it out. Whoever wins is the starter for the next uh, however long until the Broncos ultimately draft another quarterback because they don't give that quarterback a shot because it's been a revolving door of quarterbacks there for the last few years. I think Trey Lance has staying power, and I think he can be the starter there. And I think this pushes Drew Locke out because I think Bridgewater, <coughs> Bridgewater is going to be in a situation similar to the one he was in with the New York Jets when they selected Sam Darnold, where he knew going into it that if Darnold outplayed him or if he played above his... I guess, capabilities, he would get traded in the preseason. And ultimately, he did get traded because he played so strong, and they started Darnold and made McCown the backup. I would not be surprised to see maybe Drew Locke be in that situation where he gets traded and Bridgewater's the backup, or Bridgewater starts, and then they transition to Lance. There's a lot to do with those, I guess, three guys in the quarterback room. But I don't know if it's something they'll want to do. I think they might be comfortable doing Bridgewater versus Locke. But I think Trey Lance is somebody they value highly. And for him to be sitting there at nine, I think it'd be hard for them to pass him up. Number 10, the Dallas Cowboys select Patrick Sertain, corner from Alabama. They pair him up back with his old running mate, Trayvon Diggs, and give them a one-two punch that will be pretty, pretty damn good for the next few years. Not only that, but those battles in practice between Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and CeeDee Lamb versus Sertain and Diggs will make training camp a lot of fun for Dallas fans and Dallas players. 
Going to 11, the New York Giants select Elijah Vera Tucker, interior offensive lineman, USC. Um, Tucker is a plug-and-play guy right away. He's going to be able to come in, excel in the run game, provide extra protection for Saquon Barkley, and then he's also a very good pass blocker, and he's going to be able to give uh, a nice cushion to Daniel Jones. Did I initially see him being the second offensive lineman off the board? No, but I've been hearing the Giants value him heavy, so this could end up being the pick here. Number 12, the Panthers traded down to 12 with the Eagles, picked up a couple picks, and still pick up a versatile defensive piece who he can be an electric player going into next season. Micah Parsons is the pick here from Penn State. Freak athlete. Yes, there's some off-the-field concerns, but I really think those are going to be somewhat mute once he gets to the next level. This is a guy who excelled at Penn State and I think can excel at the next level, and people forget that because he opted out, but I think that the Panthers is a nice pick. You have Derek Brown there, Jeremy Chin there. Um, I think that he would fit in nicely and be a real, real leader on that defense for Matt Rule for the foreseeable future, and a very nice addition for them here. Number 13, the Chargers are salvating. They get a guy who I value as the top offensive lineman in the class. That's Rashawn Slater. Don't get me wrong, I like Suell a lot, and I think he's a freak, but I think Slater's versatility and his knowledge of the position and game of football is just that superb. I think they get him here, and they can move him all over the line. Interior, you can move him into center. You can even probably try him at right tackle. I think he'd be better fitted inside, though. And I think Slater becomes that... I guess, anchor of the offensive line for Justin Herbert. And I think Herbert has the potential to be a top 10 quarterback, but you have to do what other teams didn't, and that's protect him. Getting a young offensive lineman here is a phenomenal start to that. The Vikings, they follow it up with Christian Derisaw. This is a guy who makes everything look so effortless. When I watch him on tape, I ended up just... It was kind of boring to an extent because everything is consistently the same. Darisol looks like he's almost not even trying. He's a very smooth blocker. He's got very, very good hands. Um, I think he has the potential to be a stalwart in that offensive line for the future and another offensive piece to uh, give some surroundings to Kirk Cousins. Not the playmaker like they went last year with Justin Jefferson, but instead they keep Kirk Cousins um, upright a little more. 15 shocking slide, but I've been saying it for a while. I said it on Sports 845, and I'll say it again. I think the Patriots walk away from this draft with Justin Fields, and it's because he slides to 15. Listen, a lot of people don't see him sliding this far, and I will probably eat my words when I come back on this to do my grades next week, but I think that Fields falls here just because there's not anybody really going to make that move if they know he's going to fall to the Patriots. And I think that right now... I mean, they're set with Cam Newton for the time being, but I think Justin Fields could win this job pretty quickly and excel in that offense. And it would be kind of scary for the next um, however long to be in the AFC East and at least as a New York Jets fan, know that you have Josh Allen on the schedule and Justin Fields on the schedule, Tua as well for the next, uh, for at least six games of the 17 and for the next 10 to 15 years. Um, then you go to 16, the Cardinals luck out here, don't have to move up, and they still get their guy, they get Jalen Waddle. Um, Waddle pairs with Fitzgerald, Kirk, um, DeAndre Hopkins, and what a wide receiver room that's going to be. I mean, dynamic pieces, and then you go to the defensive side of the ball, you got J.J. Watt, Chandler Jones, Buda Baker, Isaiah Simmons. This is a team that 
I I don't have the most faith in Cliff Kingsbury, but I think that if he can get this crew in order this year, this is an offense and a defense that have the makeup of a playoff team. Number 17, the Raiders, they get Zayvon Collins from Tulsa here. They pass on Awuso Kumara. Um, I just think Zayvon Collins would be a better fit here. I think the idea of him and Crosby... Um, lined up alongside each other, rushing the passer could be nice. I think Collins has a versatility to be a traditional outside linebacker as well, can drop back in coverage. So I think he's a nice piece, and I think he's the kind of guy that Mike, May- Mike Mayock and uh, John Gruden would covet. 18, the Dolphins go with Quiddy Pay. I think Pay has the potential to be a very, very good um, edge rusher in this league. I do think this is a potential trade-up spot for um, a quarterback if somebody else continues to fall. But I think that Pay needs to develop as a pass rusher, but what he's shown to this point is worthy of the 18th pick and worthy to be a uh, edge rusher of the future for the Dolphins. They walk out of this draft with a top-tier edge rusher in Quiddy Pay, arguably the best edge rusher on the board, and they also walk away with Devontae Smith, and that's a hell of a draft for the Dolphins. Uh, Number 19, the Redskins go with Tevin Jenkins. They protect whoever that quarterback is for the foreseeable future. Jenkins can be a guard. He can be a tackle. He's got enough versatility where no matter where he is, he's going to have success. I'd love him on the Jets, and I'm saying that now because I hope he falls there. But I think that he ends up in Washington protecting either Taylor Heineke or Ryan Fitzpatrick next season. The Bears, this one feels written in the stars. The Northwestern boy stays in Illinois, and Greg Newsome, lengthy corner, stays in Illinois with the Bears. Um, he's a very, very good press corner as well. Good length, good speed. I think he's going to have a lot of success at the next level. The Colts get my top edge rusher, Jalen Phillips, Miami. Phillips is a monster. I love the guy. I think he has the capability to easily be the best pass rusher from this class, and Phillips in Indianapolis is going to be a nice fit. I think he's going to do well in that Matt Eberflus defense, and I think him and Darius Leonard are going to, uh, and Bobby Okariki are going to strike fear in their opponents for the next few years. 22, the Titans maybe reach a little here, and they go with Miami edge rusher Gregory Rousseau, someone I'm not high on. It seems like the media is not really high on either, but the league is still high on him, and with Danico Autry and Jadavion Clowney no longer in Tennessee, I think that getting a pass rusher here with Rousseau is going to be a nice add for them. Number 23, the Jets also continue the pass rusher run here, and they go Aziz Ojolari. A little surprising, I think, that they won't go offensive line here. I think they could end up, if Ojolari's off the board, going offensive line here. But I've heard they have a top 10 grade on Ojolari, and if they don't have to trade up to get him and he falls into their lap at 23, it may be too much to pass up having him alongside Carl Lawson for the next five to ten years and I think that Ojolari is a very very good pass rusher good bend good speed can be a really good run um run tackler and run stopper as well and I think if he adds a couple pass rush moves he could be a freak athlete and I think that if or freak pass rusher because he's a freak athlete and I think although I expect them to go offensive line here if Ojolari's on the board it's going to be hard for them to pass him up number 24 the running back run starts. It's Najee Harris of Alabama. I like this guy a lot. I am not one of the guys that's sleeping on him. I think he does deserve to go in the first round. He's a talented, talented back. Um, just watch him hurdle seven defenders in the past couple of years. Um, maybe not exactly seven, but a lot of defenders. Even that game against Notre Dame, it was effortless. He's just such a good back. 
Uh, not necessarily that Derrick Henry tier, but I think he's the kind of guy that can be a bell cow for the Steelers, and I think he would take a little bit of the pressure off Big Ben. Um, number 25, we go with another running back. Surprising, not a lot of people expect a running back to maybe even go in the first. I go with two here. 25, the Jags grab t- Trevor Lawrence's teammate, Travis Etienne. I think that Etienne is a great pass pass catcher out of the backfield. He's a good running back overall, and I think that he is a dynamic piece that would be a weapon for Urban Meyer and company in Jacksonville. 26, the Browns go with Owuso Kumara. They continue to add pieces to that defense. Last season, it was the offense. This season, it's the defense. They're going to be a well-rounded unit, kind of like those Cardinals next season. The Ravens, as I'm kind of speeding up here so we can get to uh, quarterback coach Sean McAvoy. He's got some great takes on Justin Fields and Trey Lance, and he gives his quarterback rankings having worked with some of the top guys like Fields and Lance. But I continue, 27, the Ravens go with Rashad Bateman, Stefan Diggs type. He's got a great catch radius, great speed, and I'm excited to see how he does at the next level. He is my wide receiver four, but I think he has the capability to be a offensive rookie of the year candidate. And I think that that fit with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore would be very nice. 28, the Saints go Asante Samuel Jr. They could be a trade-up candidate. Jay Glazer just reported they could move into the top 10. I think they go Samuel here just because he's such a talented corner. I can't see him falling out of the first round. 29, the Packers go Elijah Moore. They get their slot receiver, versatile piece for the next few years. And they finally make it a point to give Aaron Rodgers a weapon. Thank God. Um, Kadarius Toney could be a fit here as well, but just a dynamic piece. Just get Aaron Rodgers some help. 30, the Bills go Eric Stokes, a guy who grades out as my number three corner in this class. I have him, Horn, and Sertain in that top-level tier, and him falling to here wouldn't be that surprising based on his current value, but his uh, his quarterback rating... Um, last season, well, opposing quarterbacks against him was so, so impressive. I think he has the capability to be a top-tier corner in this league, and the Bills add another piece to that defense moving forward. 31, the Ravens go Creed Humphrey. They need some offensive line helps to make sure that Lamar Jackson continues to uh, succeed. He had a bit of a down year last year, so I think adding Humphrey and Bateman into the fold can help out. And lastly, the Bucks go with Jason Owa, the freak athlete from Penn State. I think Owa has the potential to be a very, very good pass rusher, kind of like a Yannick Ngakwe, where he may not put those numbers up initially, but once he ends up in the right system, um, I think he's got that freak athlete style that he's just going to excel. So there it is, my mock draft. If I get more than just the top two right, I'll be impressed with myself a little bit. Um, so yeah, that is my mock, and now the incredible quarterback guru, Sean McAvoy. Time today, so you're cool. Sounds good. All right. Yo, what is up? Welcome to Ambitious. My name is Dylan Price. Today's guest is one of the smartest football minds, I would say, in the business right now. He's been doing this since 2002 in various coaching positions and then the premier quarterback training and quarterback takeover. He also works with some of the top NCAA and NFL quarterbacks, getting them all ready to perfect their craft. He is among the best in the business, among the lines of Jordan Palmer, John Beck. He is an absolute quarterback whisperer and I I cannot reiterate it enough. One of the smartest football minds, ladies and gentlemen, Coach Sean McAvoy. Thanks again for coming on, Coach. Yeah, Dylan, man. I really appreciate you having me, man. It's a pleasure. 
Well, I want to go back to you and your start before we get into, you know, your wheelhouse and the nitty gritty. So where where are you from? And, you know, what kind of got you started with quarterbacks and football as a whole? Absolutely. I'm from a Philadelphia area originally, was born and lived most of my life in like Westchester, Pennsylvania. So southeastern part of the state. Uh, moved around a little bit growing up, so got to spend some time in Oklahoma and Texas and Virginia. But the majority of the time um, in like the late middle school years through high school and, and the early adulthood years were all there in uh, southeastern PA. But for football specifically, my dad is definitely where that those roots came from. Uh, my dad was a center, played at Villanova University, uh, which a lot of people know as a basketball school and a great one, uh, and obviously an FCS football program as well. But they were a Division One A program back at the time, and um, my dad was a teammate of Howie Long's, you know, a name from Villanova that a lot of people know. So I think just growing up as a young kid, going back to Villanova games, being around Villanova Stadium, meeting some of the coaches that my dad played for. Uh, definitely very early on football was a big part of of kind of my childhood. So from going, I guess, being a big childhood football, um, your roots in it, thanks to your father and, you know, everything he was doing, what, I guess, kind of got you started? Um, did you play um, before you ended up getting into coaching? What was the story there? Yeah, so I, my playing career started in fifth grade, uh, which is interesting because there's such a debate now about, when should kids start playing football and the, the, you know, the physicality of it? When do they wear pads versus doing seven on seven or flag? And, you know, so even though my dad had played, uh, he definitely wanted us to wait to start playing tackle football till a little bit later on when we were developed a little bit more, which is interesting. So fifth grade is when my football career started, played through middle school, was a quarterback and a quarterback only the whole time. You know, and at first it's just like by luck, like the first team you go on, they didn't have a quarterback and you could throw okay for however much you were throwing in fifth grade, right? And so kind of starting from there. So just kind of blessed and lucky to be a quarterback and, and live through that all through high school. Um, at that point, it was pretty clear to me. I like to call it self-awareness that I just realized I wasn't going to have a future uh, playing college football at that point. Uh, it was limited by, I like to tell everybody, by both uh, athleticism and talent uh, to play at the next level. But but definitely just that love and the passion for the game and the intricacies of being uh, successful at the quarterback's position specifically just kind of transitioned me right in from my playing days into starting to coach high school football while I was still in college. So how did that work? Because that was where you got your start was, you know, coaching while you were in college. How did that work yep. and how did you manage that workload? Because being both in college and then also coaching high school ball and kind of delving right into that. How did that work? Yeah, the funny thing is it was probably the easiest time for it because you know how college is. You're doing your classes in the morning. You know, at least I could set up my schedule that way. And, you know, being a high school football coach, you kind of had to be at the school from like 2 to 6 p.m. every day. So I was fortunate. I went away to school a little bit from my hometown towards Shippensburg University, Division II school up there. Uh, in Chambersburg, PA. So the PA people know what we're talking about. Um, but then after my first two years, I transferred back to Westchester. So I was back near home. And just fortunately, the head coach that I had played high school football for started a program at a brand new school. Uh, Avongrove High School needed help, was kind of a fledgling program from nothing, and needed guys that he could trust and he knew knew the game and could kind of help fill out his staff. So it was just another good timing piece 
where I came back at the right time, back towards home. So I did classes in the morning, coaxed in the afternoon. Um, and so the workload was actually the easiest part of it. Uh, it was just starting to kind of sink my teeth into at being such a young age, because at the time I was 20 years old, you're coaching kids that are 18 years old, right? Uh, just learning how to uh, to teach and, and, and help develop quarterbacks specifically uh, in a new way. So you were at Avangrove for three years before heading to Unionville. Where, what sparked that transition? And then ultimately, what, I guess, led you to go to Unionville? So Unionville was my alma mater, right? So that was kind of where the heart always was. That's where my, the coach that started that program at Avangrove High School, coach named Mike Duggan, who really has everything to do with my passion for football and the opportunities I've had really even this late in my career. Um, he was my coach at Unionville, went to Avangrove. And so a few years in, Duggan ended up retiring. Um, I stayed on Avangrove for one more year with a new coach. And then an opportunity opened up for me to go and coach quarterbacks back where I went to high school. So I was very fortunate and, and very excited about making that jump back to my alma mater. So Unionville, and then you also started private quarterback instruction while you were still at Avangrove, if I'm correct, right? That's correct, yeah. So it started out kind of, you know, I was just trying to coach and develop the players that were playing at my high school, right? And I was very fortunate at Avangrove. First quarterback I had there as a true freshman uh, was a kid named Vaughn Charlton who ended up playing at Temple under Al Golden. So a Division One, really high talent quarterback was the first guy ever really trained and and coached and so you know you realize that he has potential and you want to just continue to to uh to just help him along as best you could so in season i was his high school quarterback coach and then in the off season we were continuing to put time in uh and working and, and i didn't even realize what i was doing at the time but what i was really doing was starting a a private quarterback training career right it was really just helping guys i worked with and when i went to unionville same thing right so now i had a couple guys from avangrove that i used to coach my three or four quarterbacks here at unionville you know so now you're on the weekends and in the off season you're coaching four or five guys and you know then a couple other people here that you do a good job developing quarterbacks so they reach out so really without thinking you suddenly had this little you know uh this little group of six or seven high school quarterbacks that you were committing a bunch of time in, in the off season. And that was kind of my first client base, if you will, in the, in the training business. And it has grown immensely from there to now it is your profession and your livelihood. What, what about being, I guess, a private quarterback instructor and, you know, getting to coach these guys gets you so fired up. It gets you so passionate. Well, so that's it. It's, it's, it's about the passion, right? It's about things like old adage of like, if you're just doing what you love, you never work a day, right? And, and that's truly what it feels like. You really get to do the thing that you would do for free. You would do 15 hours a day, 365 days a year. And, and it's your job now, right? And, and for me, it's, it's about developing the position and being around football, which I'm super passionate about, but just building the relationships and right and getting to, you know, to develop and, and, and see these athletes go from middle school to high school, high school to college, college to the NFL. You see them develop. You see them like grow up and truly go from boys to men. And, and you see 
just being a piece of that maturity and development and kind of half older brother, half mentor, um, and, and just kind of making sure you're there for whatever they need. It's just super rewarding to get to be a piece of, of these, these athletes and these quarterbacks journeys. Well, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Everything you do. And, you know, you work with some really, really incredible talents as well. Um, the first being one of the guys I want to talk to you about Trey Lance, um, absolute beast rising up draft boards, likely going to be a pretty much of a lock to be a first rounder in this year's draft. But a big question about him is not a lot of game tape on him and he hasn't been on the field too much. What would you say being there firsthand working with him to kind of dispel some of those doubters? Yeah, you know, the first thing is the, everyone wants to point to really two things. First is uh, he played FCS football, right? And so there's always going to be competition concerns. Hey, is he ready to make the jump to the NFL? He wasn't even playing, you know, real big time Division One competition, right? Where you look at, you know, if you play Alabama, you play Ohio State, you're playing the top players in the country. You know, I think that all needs to be measured against the competition you have around you as well, right? What your teammates are like. Because the reality is it's not like, you know, if you're if you play Clemson every week, you know, the talent around you, your offensive line, your receivers aren't at the same level as that competition you're going against. Right? Does that make sense? And so the reality is, yeah, it's true that Trey played against lesser competition in FCS level, but he was surrounded by athletes at that level as well. And, you know, he didn't have receivers that were getting wide open and he didn't have receivers making great catches outside of their radius to help him out. You know, to some extent, I think it's, it's very similar regardless of what level you play at. The, the, the second piece of that is the hasn't started a lot of games, which is funny this year, especially because Mac Jones, who everyone thinks is the, you know, been around the league forever. And, you know, he's played this. He started the same amount of games. Right. So it just looks different because Mac Jones has been Alabama for four or five years. And this is kind of the blessing and curse of being an extraordinary, uniquely talented, great player is that, sure, maybe no one's done what Trey Lance has done before, played one freshman redshirt freshman season at FCS level and then go to the NFL. Because all the other FCS quarterbacks that we want to rattle off, you know, like Carson Wentz before him and others, played the extent of their eligibility before they went to the NFL. And you would argue because they needed that. You know, the, 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 the unicorn aspect of a guy like Trey Lance is he was so talented in the one year he played as a redshirt freshman to win, you know, the Heisman, FCS Heisman, award and, and player of the year at that level and is widely regarded as being ready and uh a guy that, that most draft uh experts and not alone let alone coaches and gms think is a potentially top 10 even top five pick this year so um you know i think i, I think it's, it's certainly you know you you always are going to gain experience by being on the field and playing in games and so I, I think anyone who thinks that's a concern of Trey's, and I would hope then they think that was a concern of Mac Jones and others as well, um, I think that's real. I would just offset it by saying, hey, the reason that's a thing is because he's just that talented. Yeah. 
And, you know, one thing that I've I've been enamored with in doing um, different stuff for Empire Sports Media and doing quarterback rankings and evaluations is Trey as a person. I mean, you see him do some of these interviews, and he's down to earth. Uh, it seems like he's a real leader and a real gamer. Like, he loves this game of football and is dedicated to it. What, what kind of blows you away about Trey and kind of shows you that he's going to have success at the next level? I think the first thing is just his maturity, and especially when you're talking about at the age that he is, right? So, you know, the idea that he's the youngest guy coming out in this draft quarterback-wise is true, but I would argue his maturity for his age sets him apart from anybody else coming out in the draft. You know, and that's what struck you right away, was you just didn't feel like you were around a kid who, you know, wasn't legally able to drink yet, right? It just didn't feel like that. So his... Attention to detail, the way he's so meticulous about his preparation um, from a training standpoint, you know, struck you right away. He wanted to know the schedule for the next three weeks and what time our meeting was. So then he could plan out what time he wanted to eat. So then he knew what time he was going to be on the field later. And, okay, we're going to throw Monday, Tuesday, and then take Wednesday off and Thursday, Friday. So Wednesday's the day. You know, he wanted to have that all planned out, um, which is unique, especially when you're, you know, coming out of college and you kind of can train whenever you got nothing but time and and uh his his kind of desire to have things planned out to make sure he was maximizing his time and getting the most value out of it stood out and now you're realizing hey it's not just in training because that was where i experienced it first now you're getting them on the board and you're watching them go through film and you realize wow this is this is what he did his freshman year at ndsu you know, he was doing this type of meticulous work all through his college career as well. And now you start to realize, okay, now we understand what made him such a great player, why he was able to handle so much in that North Dakota State offense as a freshman was because of the way he planned and prepared. It's it's incredibly impressive, and it's impressive to see how – he's blowing people away with as you know it's it's a positive and a negative that sample size you know we talked about um and something that as you can can be made for a couple of the quarterbacks in it but how he's blown people away just that quickly is also incredibly impressive in the same light but I want to transition to a couple of the other guys in this class another guy um, you've worked with before Justin Fields he's kind of one of the most polarizing figures I'd say in this draft this year because a lot of people are split about him I personally think he's a baller a great great guy on and off the field from everything you see, but there are some questions about the Big Ten competition. There's some questions about how he'll veer off from that first read. So as someone who's worked with him, how do you think Justin Fields will handle things, you know, in a new system and then also in the same light when, you know, different reads aren't necessarily there for him and he's going to have to adapt? How do you think he'll handle those situations? Yeah, you know, I I think they're great questions. I mean, you hit so much. First of all, like the whole, the whole, whatever narrative surrounding Justin Fields is just completely head scratching to me because in a normal year and a normal quarterback evaluation, he checks off all the boxes that you want to see. Here's a guy who has started more than one season, right? So if that's a knock on Trey or a knock on Mac Jones or knock on other quarterback, Dwayne Haskins in the past, this is a guy that, Hey, he's a multiple year starter. He's played at the highest level in the biggest games. And go back and look at it. He played at his best in those biggest games, right? I know they lost to Alabama in the championship game, but, man, he was incredible in that game. Obviously, the game against Clemson in the semifinal 
was maybe as good of a quarterback performance as we've seen recently. So you, you got guys played at the highest level, who's played super well against the best competition, done it for two years, you know, was a Heisman runner-upper in the top three two years ago. Obviously, the season was shortened this year, never really had that chance. Um, but those were all the things you were supposed to want out of a quarterback, and I feel like he's done it. I mean, since high school, he's been widely regarded as the most talented QB most athletic quarterback obviously his ability to run a 4-4 is unique to that position for a guy his size and then he's always been regarded as, as one of the most accurate throwers of the football and I think he's continued to show that to your point now it's okay well maybe some things were easy because they were Ohio State and maybe they had a couple tough games where he played really well but you know Big Ten maybe most games in and out he was better then and I think that's what you're seeing when people want to knock things like he's a one-read quarterback you know I think if you're playing the position correctly, you're certainly not going to bypass routes in the progression that are open. And so if you're Ohio State and you're surrounded by talented wide receivers and you play for one of the best offensive minds in the college game, then yeah, a lot of the times he's going to dial up play calls where either your first or second progression is going to be open. And to Justin's credit, he completed those passes more often than not at one of the highest, you know, uh, completion percentages, and that's what led to his success. But if you watch this film, there are plenty of times where you've seen where those first couple progressions were not open, and you saw him work through and get to his third and fourth progression late in the concept. Obviously, his athleticism is just another kind of check the box where when you talk about a guy who now has to transition the NFL, well, the things that allow young QBs to be successful early on is the extra athleticism to move and make something happen off schedule when maybe things break down or they're just not seeing it as clearly as a 10-year NFL veteran would, right? And I think you saw this in the past with the success RG3 had coming out of college. And you saw with Lamar Jackson being able to win NFL MVP in his second year. These quarterbacks that are athletic, like a Josh Allen, maybe can overcome the normal uh, hiccups that a young quarterback will see as they transition the NFL. Because I think for all these guys, whether it's Mac or Zach or Trey or Justin or whoever, obviously Trevor as well, they're all going to benefit and get better in the next one, two to three years, right? Everyone, every one of them is going to be better three years from now than they're going to be as a rookie. But when you look at guys like Trevor, because of his athleticism, and then of course, Justin and Trey, their ability to, to make things happen, even if they're not seeing it as clearly as they should, I think is what sets them apart. That was incredible insight on it from a uh, brilliant mind as you are. Um, one of the other things I want to ask you, because you've worked with him personally, and this is something that I feel is an, it's an unfair criticism on anybody from the outside looking in, and I'm pretty sure you'll probably know where I'm heading with this, but Dan Orlovsky kind of went on Pat McAfee's show and said that Justin Fields is um, not your highest character guy. You know, he's the last in, first out kind of guy. Can you kind of dispel some of the narrative there on that and I guess give your thoughts on his character? Yeah, you know, it's funny because there's obviously outrage and, and it becomes a race thing right off the bat. Are we looking at 
are we looking at black quarterbacks differently than we're looking at white quarterbacks? And there's been a whole history of that. But even putting that aside, the people who are the most outraged are the people who know Justin and work with Justin. Because we're the ones looking at each other, like scratching our heads, like where is that coming from? And I think you've seen that echoed from Coach Day and other coaches at Ohio State. And you're certainly seeing echoed from myself, Quincy Avery. There's another quarterback coach, Ron Veal, in the Atlanta area here. These are the guys that Justin has trained with and worked with over the last four or five years. And so let me give you the quick story. Obviously, we all know what happened when COVID started in March and everything got shut down and it looked like college football was not going to happen. Well, all the college quarterbacks that we're used to training in the offseason are now home, right? Colleges are canceled. And we continue to train during that period, obviously safely with masks and everything else. But, you know, we're training because in the back of our mind, we know that the college football season is probably going to happen at some point. And these all these quarterbacks need to be ready the way they always are. So that group, including guys like Trey Lance and Malik Willis at Liberty and Jamie Newman, at, you know, was about to go into his year at Georgia. Obviously, he opted out. But those guys all trained, and Justin was a part of that group. So you're talking three to four days a week. Justin's driving an hour and a half into every session, doesn't miss one, for three months, you know, from March through April through May. At this point, even other schools looked like they were going to play. Big Ten looked like they were adamant they were not going to. And we know the story about Justin was one of the key pieces to argue and 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 and, and kind of create a situation where they, they forced the Big Ten to play. But even in all that unknown time, the kid didn't miss a session. And so the the, the idea, like if any, and there's a guy that if anyone could have opted out and still been the second pick of the draft, it was mm-hmm. Justin Fields. You know what I mean? And look who's going to go to Trevor yeah. Justin, whether he played another damn of football or not. Um, and, and, and just my experience, that was the kid who came to everything, worked the hardest, set the example for all the other quarterbacks there. That's the Justin I know. And like I said, if he wasn't with us, he was with Ron Beal, training with Ron. So I just, it was just a, something that never made sense to me. Now, and of course, Orlovsky came out and, and kind of half apologized and half gave more clarification what bothered me, I think, the most is the idea of just running with kind of a half-researched story with anonymous sources and putting that out there in the media and allowing people to jump on. Now, I know it wasn't Dan's opinion that Justin was lazy. He was just saying he was hearing this from other people. I just wish that you would do a little bit more research, a little bit more due diligence before you would even put that out there. Because two days later, his apology said, hey, wait, I looked into this a lot more. I talked to a lot more people, and everybody's saying this isn't true, right? Like, yeah, I don't know, pardon me. And like I said, I'm not putting too much blame on Dan Orlovsky, but you would have loved for him to have done that extra research first before he started talking negatively, um, you know, on Pat's show. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way you could have put that. I it was something that you know, listening to his apology, it was kind of like, well, why why run with the material if it, you haven't vetted it yet, and why why stick your journalist reputation out if you don't know for sure that that's really who Justin is as a person. So you know, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you on that, and it's it's really nice to hear all this about Justin and Trey. Um, one more thing quickly um, here before we yeah. get to the three other guys. You know, one thing that's also been made um, kind of to to a lesser degree now, but it was a bigger 
thing I think a little earlier in this draft process was Justin Fields transferring from Georgia to Ohio State. What yeah. can you give a little insight on why he ended up ultimately making that decision and why Ohio State kind of ended up being that landing spot? Yeah, he just he wasn't going to get the opportunity at Georgia, right? And this is this the funny thing. I love that people want to make the argument of you know he doesn't want to compete. You know, he uh, at first time he hits adversity, he runs away. Okay, but isn't the logic like you have to get on the field to be able to show your ability to play? And I think we've seen a lot of quarterbacks thrive through the transfer process, and it's not because they didn't want to compete or that they didn't want to wait four years or, you know, you know, whatever. It was just that they, they were talented enough. They thought they were able to be successful now. And there was another opportunity to go play somewhere and show that ability. And I think it's kind of natural in all of us that no one wants to kind of, you know, stand on the sideline with the ball in their hand. They want to be on the field playing. And, you know, I think, I don't know, I'm a kind of a pro transfer person in general I guess Mm -hmm. only because I'm a pro player coach and so I want the players to have as much opportunity as they can to showcase their ability but I think you know at at University of Georgia they made the decision that they wanted to continue with Jake Fromm for not just you know the Justin's first year but then again for the next year and and I think a lot of people realized that Justin was probably too talented to just sit around and not be utilized in a better way. Um, so the timing of it was Dwayne Haskins had played, had his tremendous year, almost won the Heisman uh, his last year at Ohio State. And because both Dwayne and Justin work with Quincy Avery, who, you know, him and I are partnered together with quarterback takeover. And so we all kind of work together. Justin had a little extra insight, early insight that, he knew Dwayne was going to be leaving where many people didn't. And he knew then that Ohio State would be in a position where they would be looking for a quarterback. And so, you know, sometimes, once again, just the, the timing of all this works perfectly. Uh, and the other reason is Ohio, uh, Justin knew that he had potential and certainly had a desire to play at a level past college football. And so one of the most important pieces of that is to get to a coach and work within an offensive scheme where you'll be developed and prepared for the next level. And I think that all came together with Coach Day and with Ohio State. That was great, great insight on that situation. That's been, as you said, it's kind of like a another one of the things that the media has kind of spun as almost a negative, and it's been a great opportunity for him because who knows how things would have played out if he had stayed at Georgia, and he may have even ended up losing an extra year that he could now have spent in the NFL. So very, very good perspective on that. Um, there are three other guys in this class, and I'll, I'll kind of bunch two of them together here because it seems like the – the general media narrative, and it feels like they'll probably go one-two, is Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. Um, can you give a couple quick thoughts, I guess, on the two of them? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm much higher on Trevor than Zach. Uh, you know, Trevor, much like Justin Fields, has kind of been who he was supposed to be from the day he set foot on a college campus, right? Now, if you want to nitpick, okay, he was the top player of all time coming out of high school, and he won the championship right away his freshman year. Uh, there's probably you could probably argue it's surprising he didn't win a second one right it's a really tough criticism when you're mm-hmm. talking about you know winning one in three years you know like that he didn't win a second one is the biggest knock but you know the fact that he 
was ever a serious contender for the Heisman. I don't know. Like, are those the knocks you put on Trevor? Those are the best ones I could come up with. And it's not that he doesn't have things he needs to continue to work on, continue to develop, right? He can probably shorten his arm path a little bit, get the ball out a little bit quicker, things of that nature. But, you know, he throws the ball so well. Uh, I keep talking about the athleticism, which I think is still uh, a little bit uh, underappreciated, you know, because he is such a quote-unquote prototypical pocket passer. Uh, but what makes him so special is the way he can move and run. Um, so to me, you're getting what you're what you think you're going to get. So Zach's the surprising one for me. Um, you know, I, he had a tremendous year this year. I think you can raise a lot of the same competition questions that you want to raise with Trey. Um, you know, he had a year before. I mean, you know, Zach's been a three-year starter. It's like sometimes we want to pretend like the first two years didn't happen if they have one good year. You know, I think there's certainly some questions the first two seasons, and especially uh, the 2019 season where he just didn't play very well, um, played poorly against that same not-so-great competition. Um, you know, I know he was battling through some injuries, and, and you certainly see flashes of some some big talent. You know, like Zach Wilson's a guy where – Think about like a high school huddle tape and you just pick your 10 best plays. Zach Wilson's going to look great on a 10 best play huddle film. I think when you watch all of his films, to me at least, there's a lot of inconsistency there that makes me question, am I getting the guy we had last year or am I getting the 2019 Zach Wilson? Or in reality, it's probably somewhere in between. It's the same argument I would have made for Joe Burrow. Right, Joe Burrow had this tremendous last year at LSU, the year before, eh, pretty average, right? So, obviously, the Bengals drafted him on the prospect of his best year, and I think we'll see going forward here where he really falls. So that would be my question mark for Zach. To me, Zach's my QB for this year. Now, wow. obviously, you know the bias in me saying that. Uh -huh. Justin Fields and Trey Lance are like my guys, right, and guys that I've worked with and and, but even trying to separate from that, and sometimes it's just you're around it more and you get an ability to see what those guys are able to do. And to me, Justin and Trey both have traits that set them apart from Zach Wilson. So, well, that was phenomenal insight once again. Um, and uh, interesting, I think you've heard so much, especially um, overall and to keep bringing up the media, but so much in the last couple weeks and months about Zach Wilson and how he's just rose up draft boards and locked himself in at number two to the New York Jets. And to kind of hear, a, not necessarily a contradictory belief, but a kind of like a, well, let's pause here for a second, realize that this is a Joe Burrow situation. It's a, it's a refreshing take. And I want to ask one more guy of the five. It's pretty easy to see where I'm leading this one here, but, uh, Mac Jones, um, he's, it sounds like he'd be your QB five. Um, can you yep. give me some thoughts on him? Because it seems like he's a, a lot of people see him very differently. Yeah. He, so I don't think it was that long ago, maybe just a couple months where the talk was, can a fifth QB get into the first round? And if one gets in the first round, who will it be? And it was like, all right, there's Mac Jones, there's Jamie Newman, there's Davis Mills, maybe even Kellen Mond, right? There's this Kyle Trask. Like, you could pick names out. But there was kind of this group that was kind of like, all right, can a fifth guy get into the first round was the discussion. And, you know, and then originally people thought, like, Mac was probably the one. I mean, he, 
you know, obviously come off the Heisman year, won a championship, so his leadership quality and playing at a big school and, you know, all the things that, that work in his favor. And I was on board with that, you know, as a guy who got picked 25th, right? Like, once again, similar to Zach, this last, you know, month of where he's, you know, the second best QB in the draft and, you know, that's who San Francisco's going to give away multiple draft picks to trade up to get. Um, I don't see that piece of it. And once again, to me, it's just about special is kind of the way I always look at things. I tweeted about this a few weeks ago. I said, look at the quarterbacks who have been successful the last four years versus the ones who had. And the guys who have, what they share is this this special quality. I, I describe it as just being like uniquely talented, right? Trevor, 6'6", with a rocket arm and runs the way he runs, right? Justin Fields throws as a true pocket passer and can run a 4-4, you know, and Trey with his combination of big size, arm strength, and this crazy athletic ability for a guy that big, almost like Kyle Pitts-like, right? How do you, he's like, he just doesn't fit the mold. Um, You know, and so that harkens me back to guys like Deshaun Watson and Pat Mahomes and even like Josh Allen with the way he could run combined with his arm strength. Kyler Murray, right, just guys like Lamar like there's guys that are just you've never quite seen the position played that way before they're the guys that are having success to me Mac Jones is the Mitch Trubisky or the even Joe Burrow who I'm not as high on long term in the NFL as maybe others are right and there's a list of these guys as you go back through the last three or four drafts Daniel Jones right who were supposedly had all the intangibles. Hey, he's a great leader. Guys like being around him. You know, he's really smart. But they're not the guys that are flashing um, at a high level. And I think that's okay. I mean, there's going to be quarterbacks who come from all different rounds and different spots, and they're going to have varying levels of success. But if I'm picking a quarterback in the top five, especially if I'm giving up picks to go get that guy, man, I want to bet on a guy who's just special because those seem to be the guys who flourish and pay off uh, over the last few drafts yeah it's um it's it is curious to me that you know you're 100 percent right you hit the nail on the head there pretty perfectly about mac jones and kind of like the mitch trubisky daniel jones type and you know whether or not you want to take the risk um to go I guess the route again, even if it's not somebody you're even as high on, like even if it's a Kellen Mond or a Jamie Newman or somebody who like going down, I guess, in the rankings um, of yeah. that have maybe that more athletic ability. And I think that's something that and I I mean, you're willing or you're allowed to weigh in here if you want. But, you know, something that yeah. struck me about San Francisco at number three is why move up to grab Mac when and this isn't a knack on Mac, but he's not. He's not, in my opinion, an upgrade from Jimmy Garoppolo. And if you're going to move up to number three, why not grab a guy like Justin Fields or Trey Lance who are these special talents who can legitimately be an upgrade and your long-term superstar quarterback? Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. The, the other thing I think about is why move up for a guy you could get if you just stayed at 12? Yeah. That was always the way I looked at it. So forget about okay. If he's your so the other the other argument is if if that's your guy, it doesn't matter what you give up to get. It doesn't matter if nobody else wanted them. You're not going to risk that if that's your guy. 
So um, I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here. If that's the way the 49ers feel, then great. Give away the next four years of draft picks because Max Jones is your guy. And then you have to live with that, much like this, the Bears are having to live with the decision they made to trade up one spot for a guy that didn't look like anybody else really wanted that high. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I, you have to convince me that he's a big upgrade because I'm not seeing it yet. Um, it, it's just into, That's why I don't think they're going Max Jones at three. You know, and at this point, I think we're in the the big minority of people who don't believe that's where they're going. It just, yeah. it, it would just be too strange to to understand the thought process behind giving away what they gave up to trade to three, and then not take one of the real special guys in this draft. In my opinion, it just it just wouldn't make sense to me. And everything John Lynch has done to this point, and not to really rave too much about him but you know everything he's done to this point has had a purpose in the way he's orchestrated that team and built it and just to make that move and go from Jimmy G to Mac doesn't make as much sense to me if you're trying to get an upgrade than going Justin or going with Trey so I'm very curious to see how they handle it um I think you're right I think this is kind of the minority argument because it sounds like most of people most of the people are spinning it that Mac might be the guy but um, yeah, I mean, I'm resigning myself to the fact that I'm going to be wrong on draft day, right? Mm-hmm. But it's still, it's what I believe and I just can't get off it. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same boat where uh, I agree with you. And it's obviously you have a lot more uh, knowledge about the about Trey and Justin than I would. But uh, I 100% agree with you. Um, moving on here, I guess, a little bit to some of the guys currently in the league and whether or not be guys you've worked with. But looking at this crop of 32 guys right now 33 however you want to lay them out who are some of your favorite guys to watch right now hmm that's a good question okay so i'm a chicago bears fan so you know let me start there so i I spend a lot of my time watching my team which you know as as i've alluded to earlier has not been fun uh but so taking away my team you know we've gotten to a point now where i just kind of root for the guys that we work with and so Deshaun Watson's been a guy who's been training with Quincy Avery for years. And, you know, I've been around a bunch over the last four years. And so we watched a lot of Deshaun Watson. And Jalen Hurts was a guy that we took through the draft process last year and did all his draft preps, much like we did with Trey uh, and Jamie Newman this year. So um, Jalen obviously watching. And I'm from Philadelphia. Like, all my friends and family are Eagles fans, right? So he's been one and getting, getting to see him get his opportunity and, and, and kind of win that job away from Carson and then, you know, set himself up for this year uh, has been has been really fun to watch as well. Um, but, you know, I think I, I just like to see the, the, the position played at a high level. And so, you know, I always peek in to see, man, look what Justin Herbert's doing already, you know, as, as, as just a rookie, you know. And, man, look, Josh Allen, people thought he couldn't throw accurately and look at him being able to address that and then use his athleticism and look how he's changing that program. And, you know, of course, you're watching Brady and just marveling at the things he does. So I think it's less about, with the exception of the guys that we train, um, and like I said, you just, I try to watch as much of them as I can uh, at both the NFL and the college level. It's really just anybody who's playing at the Aaron Rodgers of the world, playing at a super high level, uh, to me, are just are the ones I want to focus on. That's really, really interesting to hear. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, 
I, I would understand that connection then if you've uh, worked with these guys and wanted to root for them and uh, follow them at the next level. But uh, as a Bears fan, I can understand how it would be uh, hard to root for some of the quarterback play you've been seeing over the past few years. Um, not to Two years. Yeah. Two years. All right. I'm 38. <laughs> so when was, the, when was the good year? I'm, but, uh, no, I'm trying I, to I give you guys a little credit. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a frustrating experience to be a Bears fan. Well, I'm a Jets fan, so I, I... So you know well. So that's interesting. So I know we talked about Zach a little bit. What's your thought on, on if that's where they go? Um, it, it goes back and forth a lot here. Um, I've, I'm kind of holding off on doing my rankings because I've just... Yeah, yeah, of course. Especially when I talk to you as well first. But um, I'm in the boat of kind of trusting douglas at this point and hoping he makes yeah. the right decision because i was a big darnold guy but i also saw a lot of issues with darnold and i thought that there was some question marks there but i mean if you asked me a couple months ago i would have said justin uh, now i i i like zach a lot i think he has the potential to be a very, very good quarterback and i think the he would fit well with lafleur and everything they're trying to do here yeah. but i don't know how I, I agree with you. I think there are the concerns of was last year a fluke? Will he be more near the 2019 Zach? And that does scare me. But I mean, you know, he's he's put in a lot of work in between 2019 to now. So hopefully, you know, those issues have just been in the past and he won't go yeah, back sure. to those. But, you know, I, I can see the value of going Justin or Trey there, but I mean, ultimately I'm, yeah. I'm trusting Joe. I like Zach. I think he can be a very good quarterback, but I'm, there are concerns, I guess on, yeah, like you said, whether or not he'll revert back to that 2019 form. It makes sense. I agree. You know, it's funny. We get in this environment where if I think he's the fourth best QB, people think I just say, I think Zach Wilson stinks, mm-hmm. right? Like I think he's the QB four, which means he's a top 10 pick this year right like you know we're, we're talking about varying levels of degrees on you know it, it, you know i think if you with mac jones included and then i would go into that next group of jamie newman um you know and davis mills are probably the highest in my, my next two after mac but i think those are got you're gonna find a quality those are all really good players who can help a lot of franchises um you know we just might rank them a little differently yeah, and I think it's going to come down, especially this year, more than really in the last few years, it's going to come down a lot on where they land, I think, because it's going to come down to who who they have as a supporting cast, because Darnold was ranked a few years ago as one of the top guys, and he landed in New York and didn't have the best situation, but Josh Allen could have easily been in the same situation as Sam, but he had a general manager at the time and a coach who put him first and made sure he was comfortable. And I think it's going to depend on that. And it's kind of why, you know, I I root for all five of these guys to be successful. And I, I hope they all land in the right spots. I am a little nervous about Trevor with urban. Um, I would, I think Justin Fields would do really, really well with Kyle Shanahan or with even Arthur Smith in Atlanta. Um, and vice versa for Trey too, but I think there's just a lot of landing spots going to be very key this year. No doubt. No doubt. I agree. Well, before we wrap up here, I want to ask you a question that I ask everybody who comes on this podcast and it's not really a football question, but it's more about you and, uh, your passions and beliefs. And so coach, when it's all said and done, what do you want your legacy to have been? And, you know, it's legacy is funny because I, I feel like I'm so caught in the moment 
and and I, I don't think that far ahead, which I think is good at times, and then and then leaves a little on the table. Um, you know, I think it's just you know having. I, I guess it's it's just like a reputation. Like I want you know forty years from now to have this this you know generations of just because it's my profession quarterbacks and athletes that just talk highly of me about the time they've spent working with me about things and discussions and the way we treat each other off the field and on the field and you know when we were out at dinner to celebrate milestones or you know when things didn't go bad and you know a phone call that helped pick them up and things of that nature you know i think what and we talked about how rewarding what i do now is you know people think i mean like oh it's awesome when a kid throws six touchdowns and you trained them the rewarding part is the relationships that are built over the years and you know i talked about bong charlton who was the first quarterback i ever trained and you know so that's now yeah i got 18 years ago you know and you know, and you have relationships with these guys, you see them grow up and they're married and they have kids and that, you know, so those types of things. So from a legacy standpoint, I would just hope that anyone you talk to who have been around me over the 40, 50 year career speaks highly of the time they spent with me. Well, that is definitely the uh, outlook to have and um, unique to hear, you know, that it's it's more relationship focused for you. Not necessarily unique, but um good to hear and cool to hear um so before i wrap up here i do want to give you the opportunity to uh plug everything plug your socials plug the uh quarterback training um different projects you do how can people get involved with it uh the floor is yours coach cool so just from uh you know just so we can talk and discuss and anybody's got questions qb coach mcavoy uh on both or really all social media the twitter and instagram um, you know, I spend a ton of time on and stuff like that. So always happy to answer questions about like, hey, what do you think of this in the draft? Or just, you know, hey, I got my son's a quarterback or, you know, I'm a quarterback. I'm looking for stuff. So QB Coach McAvoy on social media. And then for all the quarterback training stuff, it's Quarterback Takeover. So QuarterbackTakeover.com is the website. You'll see myself. You'll see Quincy Avery, who I'm sure many of the people listening to this will know as well. Um, and, uh, and everything you need to find is there from a training standpoint. Well, thank you very, very much again, Coach. Nothing but the best of luck to you uh, moving forward and all your guys. And uh, hope to have you on again soon because it was a absolute pleasure to talk uh, quarterbacks with you and all football in general. Hey, Dylan, really enjoyed it, man. Thanks for having me. My thanks once again to the phenomenal quarterback coach, Sean McAvoy. Um, go check him out all over social media. He's always got some great content. Just a great all-around guy as well. An absolute joy to interview. And uh, excited to have him on again in the future. It was really a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, if you want to listen to more of Ambitious, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. That being Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, all of them. You can also find us on Instagram at Ambitious Podcast, Twitter Ambitious with DP, and YouTube Ambitious with Dylan Price. I'll be live reacting to every single pick tonight on my Twitter. You can find me at Dylan Price 27 on Twitter. So yeah, it's going to be a hell of a night, guys. A hell of a weekend. Incredibly excited for it. So stay tuned to Ambitious. Some great content. Next week, we're going to break down this draft. But uh, yeah, enjoy the evening, guys. Enjoy the week. It's going to be fun.